Welcome to the Servants Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Call to Sent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Called to Sent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast. All righty, welcome. This is Elizabeth. It is good to be here with you, and I want to thank you for um, listening in today. I want to talk about a tough topic, um, a tough issue that we're facing today, and um, uh, it's it's not new to all y'all. I'm sure you've heard plenty about it. Um, I want to. I saw a photo um, in an article or whatever of Leah Thomas, and she won the NCAA national title for the, I don't know, swimming, um, all sorts of swimming titles, 500-yard freestyle or something other like that. And there's a lot of heated discussion going on in and around around that, that victory of hers. And I want us to sit back and I want us to think through this a bit as Christians because there's some enormous issues involved in all this. And how do we as Christians think about it? I think um, the most important thing to do when we try to think about What is Christian is to begin with prayer. So let's do that. Hear my prayer, Heavenly Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you in your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'll tell you as I start out today that I realize what I'm going to be say, and what I'm going to say can be labeled as hate speech, right? Uh, but it's not hateful. You know, the only way that it could be hateful is if we make it hateful, and so don't be full of hate, and then it won't be hateful. Really, when we, when people say something is hate speech, all that is is a, they're calling something they're they're calling it hate speech because they don't want to hear it because they don't like what's being said they don't agree with it and that's entirely one sided it doesn't matter um, you know it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks if you don't want to hear it then it's hate speech and that that's completely that's not a plausible way to to carry on a society at all um, and so the only way that this could be hate speech is if we choose to be hateful or full of hate and I'm. And I'm not. So, you know, 
There you have it. I will I will say that I think I need to it's worth pointing out that I think Christians are going to have to learn to ignore some of that name calling and the accusations. If you intend to be faithful in Jesus Christ in this generation, then most Christian teaching is labeled hate speech today. I mean, one one of the examples from my from an earlier podcast was when I said that um, all human beings are equal because we're made in the image of God and that was described as hateful. Uh, and I don't know why that's hate speech, but somebody thought it, somebody thinks that's hate speech. And um, I, I used that as an illustration before. And it's, it, it, I don't know why, in, again, I don't even care. Is it hateful? Intent, is the intent of it hateful? No. I mean, it's, it's what, it's what, it was that whole idea that destroyed slavery in the West. That was the beginning of the end of slavery in the West. Why would you want to get rid of that idea? Uh, a lot of people do. There you have it. So anyway, but I think it's important for us to understand and to accept that if we're going to be committed to Jesus Christ, then we're not going to fit into this world, at least not for the time being. Now, leaving aside the judgment of all the others, um, I think the most important question we have to ask in our situation now is, do we love? Do we love? That is very important. Um, if we're going to talk about any kind of controversial issue in and around human beings, anytime we think about human beings in general, um, the question is, do we love? And the, the, my go-to verse for that is, um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now then, for some reason, that's really hard for us as Christians. We, we have a hard time with that. I mean, it's a great verse. We all love it. For God so loved the world, that he came to save the world, you know, that kind of stuff. But we have a really hard time balancing God loves us and, um, you know, uh, the, every, that we should accept everybody just the way they are and there's there should be no changes and that nothing is a sin. And somehow or another, there's a, there's a, a dilemma there for us. And I don't think that it's a real dilemma. I think it's one we've kind of created in our own minds. Um, it's not, it's not, <laughs> you know, um, we need to be saved. The very idea that God sends, some, God sends his son into the world to save us, the idea that we need to be saved presupposes that there is something wrong with us, right? I mean, like, when is the last time you heard a news report about a fireman or a, fi- a huge, you know, uh, truck going down and, and ladder truck and they raise it up in a huge apartment building in downtown and, and they rescue a bunch of people from watching, watching a football game or watching sports on TV, watching a TV show, movie? You don't hear about that. They don't need to be saved, right? There has to be a fire for them to be saved. They need to be, there has to be something wrong. They need to be at risk of life and death before you're going to send the fire, fire truck down there and have people try to drag them out of an apartment. So it's the same way, in the same logic with God. The only people that God loves are flawed people who need to be saved, and that would include you and me, right? Now, on social media and on online forums, the comments are vitriolic, and that's true on both sides. And and I and I, you know, I, I totally get that, right? I mean, I read some of that stuff, and it makes me so mad. And the inability to think through some of this stuff well or whatever, it just irritates me. You know, and I'm telling you, I can be sarcastic. Lord have mercy, and it is so sinful, right? I can I can tear you apart with sarcasm, and I am ashamed that that is that is accurate. That is true. I think we have to ask ourselves: Is there anywhere in the Gospels that Jesus was ever rude or mean spirited? 
you know, one of the, one of the comments I see from time to time is something to the effect of, "Well, when you're in hell, your knee you're still going your knee is gonna be bowed to Jesus Christ. You're gonna have to be bowed down before Him, and He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords." And it says right there, "While you're burning in hell, you know, you guys." Is that really how we want to represent Jesus? Is that how he represented himself? I mean, I, I think I, I'm not denying the reality of hell. I think it is there, but you don't scare people into heaven by saying, oh, by the way, you know, you can burn hell. Um, you know, and is that the way, it, it, how do you convince anybody of an argument? Well, you believe all that stuff and when you're on your knees, you're going to be on your knee in hell saying Christ is Lord because every knee is going to bow before him and that's going to be you burning with your heels on fire. <laughs> how rude can you be? I mean, if Jesus could put up with patronized, being patronized and insulted by the people of his day, by mere mortals around him, then maybe we ought to give it a whirl. What do you think? I mean, you know, why, why are we immune and think that nobody should ever say anything ugly? And why would we ever be ugly in return? That's outrageous. So all that said, let's turn to the topic that's actually at hand. And it's the issue of a biological male who was competing uh as a woman uh, against other women, and and the biological male won. I don't know why that's a surprise to anybody. There was a lot of praise for this Leah Thomas in uh, media. I don't know anything about Leah Thomas, but you know, there's a lot of praise for 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 the win, for the victory, or whatever. And online, there was social media, sportscasters, all these different articles heralding this great uh, win for this this woman, man, woman thing. Uh, anyway, it anyway. It was all wonderful. Everybody was so pleased. I mean, if you if you read the reports, everybody's got great reports on it, except for the biological females who were competing against with against him, against her. They were quite angry at, at what happened to them. It turns out that a trans woman who is biologically male is stronger and bigger and faster and cannot be beaten by a biological female in an athletic event of any kind. You know, I, there's just not any way. They're stronger. They're bigger. Their their muscles, their skeleton, everything about them is larger, right? And they're more able to, to win. There's a reason we send boys to war. Um, has anybody besides me noticed that the feminists are not really defending the women in this? There's, feminists are just sort of silent about all this as women's gains in sports are, are taken away, you know, and... Um, it's just, oh my, the conundrum when progressive ideologies come into conflict. Oh, it's just so, and on the scale of woke, transgender is at top of the, at the top of the heap, and it trumps women's rights every time. Uh, it will always. So how should we as Christians think about it? I mean, besides getting into spitting matches on social media, which I think we ought to avoid, how do we sort through issues um, such as loving and being true to the gospel and holding to the truth? And I want to offer here one answer from two different and su supporting perspectives. One of those is theological, how to think about it, and one of those is personal, how do we relate to people, right? And I'm going to begin with the theological, and the reason I think you should begin with the theological is I really think we need to have an idea, um, that with, and unless we have thought it through, unless we have uh, thought about what God has revealed and who God is and what God desires and what He intends and how it all works, then we have no idea how to respond when it's time to confront it personally. Now, let me be clear when I say this, that I believe the answer is found in the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, that it, as, as is told in the scriptures and is in the church tradition, it's my sincere hope, I will tell you, that I do not add anything original or creative to the gospel. 
Um, it is overwhelmingly good news without any addition from me at all. I, I can't improve on the gospel, just for the record. But from a theological standpoint, there are several different issues. And the first most crucial teaching, Christian teaching is this. It's very important. This, and, and it, Let me set it up. The whole issue of changing gender and gender fluidity assumes that we are self-determining, right? And that is a quintessentially postmodern idea. We get to create our own reality. And the reality of a biological male just ran head-on into the reality of a biological female. And so that's kind of what the argument's about online and, and you know, in the public square. But in contrast to this idea of being self-determining, that we get to create our own reality, Christianity holds that all life is given by God. And so when a child is conceived, God gives the life to the child, and that life is the soul, the soul of, of the child. It's also why, uh, this, this incidentally is why I think cloning is a really bad idea, but that's a topic for another day, I know, I have to do that another day. But um, the most important theological point to make is that God creates everything, God creates everything, and so life is a gift that we receive, it is not something that we claim for our own, it's not something that we make our own. We are the creature, God is the creator, that's how that works, right? Clay, the clay does not tell the potter what to design, right? Therefore, the attempt to change gender is, is in some degree a rejection of the person that God created. It's a rejection of the self, right? And we can assume, I believe, that if God wants a boy to be a girl or vice versa, he would have formed the child in that manner in the womb. Now, I want to be careful here because people are, are quick to make the same claim regarding homosexuality, that I was born this way, right? And that deserves its own discussion because it's not really the same thing. But for the moment, I want to draw the, the distinction between the physical body and the wants and needs and desires of the heart and the mind. And the physical body and gender are determined by the life that God gives. And there are only two choices. It doesn't matter how many show up in, you know, in whatever platform you use. There are really only two choices, and you can pull DNA, and you can take a look at it. It's male, or it's female, or it is, um, what do I say, biologically, biologically, um, biologically flawed. How's that? Okay, but it's not a, um, gender is not a construct of the mind. DNA is very specific about what you are, all right? Now then, one who has given life, um, the one who's given life is the person uh, is a person with gifts and with graces, with talents, with interests, and this person is made in God's own image, right? It's also a person for whom God has plans, and gender is a part of God's plan and God's purpose for each one of us. Um, I don't know how else to say that any more clearly. And I want to pause here because there's a very important dis distinction that I want to make. There is a difference between being made in the image of God and being formed in the womb. And it's a very important difference. You know, while each of us, each human being that's ever lived is, an ex is a unique expression of the image of God, right? We must take into account the impact of sin. I mean, there's sin in the heart, there's sin in the mind, soul, there's sin in the body, right? So, it's true that, it is, that the nature of human life is flawed. And in fact, human life ends with death. That's where it goes. That's the end, that's the end of that, is that. It goes to death, right? There are babies in the womb who are not always healthy. And that is a huge tragedy. But the breakdown or the failure of creation in the womb is not the same thing as rejecting what was formed in the womb, 
Those, those are two very distinct um, approaches to, to life in the womb. One comes from inherent flaws in creation itself, and the other comes from a human decision. And the decision is, is really, uh, ultimately, to reject the, the gift of life that has been given by God and to claim one's own right to, the, to life that, that we did not create. Realize the magnitude of that. To say, I'm going to claim this life as mine. I didn't create it. I came, you know, but it's mine. I can to do with whatever I wish. Realize this. Every human who is ever, human being who's ever been born is in some form or fashion rejecting God and God's purpose in his or her life. That is the whole point of needing to be saved. That is why God sent his son to save us, right? So before we make any claims to moral superiority, um, we all find ourselves in the same situation. We're wanting to be something other than what God designed. We want to seek our own way and head in our own direction. We want to be in control of our own destiny and our life and our person. It's like being in the Garden of Eden all over again. We alone have all authority and control over ourselves again. And again, this is intrinsically a postmodern view. It's also absurd because you can't even control your eye color to think that you can change your gender is, is a way of, of, I don't know, denying reality for yourself. It's, it's a way to hide from reality. And one of the things that I think makes transgender, the transgender issue so urgent, right, is the destruction of the reproductive organs in human beings. You know, whether you change from a male to a female or a female to a male, the reproductive organs are removed and you are permanently sterile. That is awful. For people who have lived under the specter of abortion all of their lives, for the whole of their lives, they don't think about this very seriously, especially when they are young, right? We have forgotten, and this is true across the board, I think, we have forgotten that to be fruitful is a blessing. You know, decades ago, somebody decided there were too many people on the planet, okay? We need to have fewer people, right? And uh, there, and, and so we're going we're gonna to not be fruitful. We're not going to multiply and things <laughs> I have to tell you, there are not too many people on the planet. Uh, there's too much selfishness. There's too much greed. There's too much mismanagement of resources. Uh, there's too much sin. But there are not too many people. God is up to the task of providing for us. He, he's got it, okay? What I hope that you can see in all of this is that the culture and the society that we live in could not have reached this point without silencing God, at least trying to silence God. If we allow God to have a voice, then he, his voice is the supreme voice, right? He has the final say-so over all of creation. And that is the one thing that postmodern thought cannot tolerate, and that is another voice besides its own. Everyone gets to construct his or her own reality, and that is not going to end well for us. It's just not. Human nature serving itself, bends toward self-destruction. It is utterly nihilistic. It is There is no meaning in it. There is no value in it. It's not good. It, there is no bad. There is no right. And there is no wrong. You know, And the entirety of human identity is tied to sex. Whatever, wherever, whenever, whomever, we've just become, turned in, into a bunch of rutting animals. That's the whole goal of, of mo I guess, our current society, our current generation. And here is a question for which I do not have an answer. Who decided that this was a good idea? Who benefits from rendering human beings into purely sexual uh, creatures or animals? The measure of life is sex and gender? Are either of those the fullness of human identity? 
What kind of society thinks that that is good? You know, the dignity of human beings, our potential for beauty, for majesty, the possibility of creativity and genius that exist in every human being, right, is absorbed by the obsession with sex? Congratulations, you've reached the level of my dog. Dogs and cats have sex. You might as well be the family pet. And perhaps that is the biggest lie of all, that we have this this obliteration of the full humanity of of individuals and is heralded is heralded as an advancement. Let me say that again and try to say it without you know stumbling. The biggest lie of all is the obliteration of our full humanity, and we are heralding that as an advancement. That is a lie. So on that note, I want to turn because that's a lie. It's not an advancement. And there is more to humanity. We cannot obliterate the fullness of humanity. Right? So I want to I I turn now to our interpersonal relationships. If it's your child or if it's your nephew, um, how do you intend to respond? I will tell you that I think the American church um, has great culpability um, in the current collapse of humanity. I really do. Um, you know, I was watching this video uh, or recently and it was um a, it was a series of stories told by transgender individuals and they were um they would start with all these different sorts of identities they would stand up and say i am this and this i am a male i don't know uh, they have all these different categories in which in which to identify themselves and it was it was very interesting to listen to because they were um they were they were so specific and so unusual and um i identify as this kind of gender or something and and I'm, you know, a trans female, you know, uh, whatever, um, who's a lesbian male something. Anyway, um, but it, 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 it was really quite interesting to listen to. And, and it was all very serious and very intense. And, and there, it's this desire, see me who I am. This is who I really am. See me and know me. And so each person began with identify, I identify, or my, my identity is, or I identify as. And this one person finally stands up, it's a single individual, and says, I, you know, my name is, and I identify as no identity. And I identify as no identity. I want you to stop and think about that. No identity. I have no identity. Right? We live in a culture that is encouraging young people to be nobody, to, to be proud of having no identity at all. How did American Christianity become so vacuous that we failed to offer people a true and authentic identity in Jesus Christ? How do we do that? I mean, that right there is the conflict between Christianity and culture. It's the issue of identity, and we're failing because the culture is carrying the day right now. We are not offering people identity in Christ. How did we become so superficial that we allowed that to happen? What Christians need to remember is that every individual has an identity. It was given by God when they were formed in the womb. It's almost certainly hidden between underneath all the muck and the grime of sin, but it is there, the identity of who they are. And within every human being is an immortal soul that resides, and it is the image of God that he himself breathes into each person. The love of God will set that person free. It'll set the human soul free to live, to be revealed, and then we will find out who we truly are, who, we tr- who God created us to be. 
You know, every story that I listen to and every story that I've ever heard people talk about, I, you know, when, whether in person or in other environments, you know, there are people who are striving to change their life and to live in contradiction to the created order. When I hear these stories, every story is of a person who is in search of love. Please love me. So when it's personal, that's what you need to do. You need to begin with love. If it is your member of, a member of your family, when it comes to you personally and you're looking eyeball to eyeball across the table, Ultimately, that's what you have to do. You need to begin with love. And ultimately, the only love that will fully satisfy um, the, is any, any human soul will be God's love. Only God loves perfectly. But until a person can experience the love of God, then you and I should love them as God does. And that is hard to do. So, you know, as uh, let us start there. Let us start with loving as God loves. God Express God's love for that person. Express God's acceptance of that person, where that person is. And we need to have God's radical openness toward every human being in every circumstance. Let me, let me make this point. No amount of instruction in right or wrong can touch the power of God's love for that individual. It cannot even come close to the power of God's love for an individual. So when it's personal, when it's your child or your neighbor or your niece, your nephew, your grandchild, the first thing that we need to do is listen and love. We need to listen and love. Everywhere people are turning to in this generation is being defined by sex. They are told that they are all about sex, right? And they are being told they should think about their gender and who they're sleeping with and then sleep with this, you know, person, you know, this day and another person that day or whatever, and this is how we all ought to be, you know. And as Christians, we need to meet individuals, not as objects of, of sex or gender or anything else, but we need to meet individuals as the image of God, unique and wondrous individuals, but also as the flawed image of God, just as we are. We need to meet people who are weak and willful, arrogant and blind, just as we are, weak and willful arrogant and blind you know what what is gonna what the one thing that people will never never find when life is lived according to our sexual appetites and our physical traits only is lasting peace they cannot find lasting peace there will never be enough to satisfy the soul of human beings because regardless of what we are told every human being has a soul just because we ignore it doesn't make it go away Right? And we are perpetually in search of something to satisfy our souls. And so what we end up with are ever more outrageous choices that are we, we are making that, that come up and, and arise because they're coming from souls that are being ignored, souls that are screaming to be heard, to be acknowledged, to rise to the surface, to be visible. And instead, because we don't acknowledge the existence of the soul, we end up with, with wilder and wilder and more and, and stranger outrageous choices from which to choose. You know, be this, be that, be, you know, change every other day, something other. It becomes more and more outrageous. St. Augustine said it most succinctly in his confessions. He said, um, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That will never change. And because that will never change, the gospel can never change. Because it's the only hope humanity has. It is the only hope for any human being. So before you start telling people how they ought to live, you need to be leading people to the God who loves already, who already loves them as they are. 
where they can find rest for their souls, where they can begin to dwell in the wonder of divine love. That's where you want to, that's where you want to take the people who are close to you. Instead of pointing out all their flaws, let's start by taking them into the heart of God. Now, I will tell you, just for the record, I do believe that some people are born with desires that are contrary to God's design and intent and purpose. But you know what else? I believe that all people are born with desires contrary to God's design, intent, and purpose. That is the nature of sin. Or rather, maybe I should say, that is the sinful nature, whichever way you want to look at it. But sexual preferences run deep, and some people may never experience heterosexual desire. But what I would say to you is that human beings are more than sexual desire. Whatever it is in our society that wants us to believe that sex is everything is mistaken. Human beings are greater than that. That is a terrible lie that has been told to this generation. We say it over and over again. Oh, you have to be sexually active. You have to allow. You know what? You're more than sex, just for the record. You are more than sex. There are people, even if you have a great sex life, there is a limit to how many hours a day you can spend having sex. And then you better be somebody else the rest 23 and a half hours, however many it is in a day. I don't know how long you think you can have sex all day long, but you're going to have to be more than sex, just for the record. All right? Now, God does not give us disordered desires. Let's just pick right back up in the next sentence. He doesn't give us disordered desires, but he loves us without restrictions and without limits. It doesn't matter how flawed we are. It doesn't matter how sinful we are. It doesn't matter how confused we are or how arrogant or blind or proud we are, right? He loves us unconditionally. And it's the only true and authentic, unconditional and unlimited love that is available to anyone, anywhere. And the love is there for every human being, irrespective of the depth of sin. It is really astonishing how much God loves God sent his son into the world to save the world, not to condemn it. So let us not be condemning, but be loving instead. You know, loving doesn't mean accepting what is wrong. It means loving a flawed human being. And you know what? That means like you and me. I mean, you know, I'm flawed and I want people to love me. I love people. I don't know any people who aren't flawed. I always have to get past somebody's flaws to love them. You know, and I'm talking about my mother here. I mean, just for the record, you know, Everybody is flawed, right? Okay? So all you're being asked to do is not to condemn, to love instead of that. Doesn't mean accepting what's wrong. It means loving a flawed human being. You know, many, many Christians will say, oh, you know what? We have to say what we're doing is wrong. That What you're doing, that is, that's wrong. That's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. Do people walk around and tell you what's wrong with you? I mean, or do people love you? You know, when you love, when you when you love, when you lead people to Jesus Christ, then it becomes His responsibility to save them, not your responsibility to correct them. That is a wholly different thing. Do you not understand that? You know, we we are called to love people and he and take them to Jesus. Let them come to Jesus. I'm not saying that we should you know accept behavior that is bad for them, but I am saying that we should love them, flawed as they are, and lead them to Christ's throne in love and let Him worry about saving them from their from from whatever is destroying them. He's saving me from what destroys me. He's saving others from what destroys them. Why not Why not offer that to everybody? And why stand in judgment, right? So when our children, when it's our children or our grandchildren, all the people in this generation around us, they are inundated with messages about sex and about gender, and those messages are lies. Those messages are lies. You know, one day, those who believe the lies will either be destroyed by those lies, 
are they going to sit up and realize this was all a lie? My life, myself, my decisions were all based upon lies. And at that moment, you want the person to feel safe in calling you and coming to you. You want them to know that you have a message of hope for them, that you have a promise of love for them, that you have a promise of life and of resurrection, no matter what their circumstances are, no matter what their situation is. No, Christ has called you for this purpose. You follow him for times such as these so that you will be the one who is safe to approach, that you'll be the one who loves and you will be the one who listens and you'll be the living hope in, that you will have in you the living hope of God in the resurrection. You know, that is greater than any form of death in this life that we will ever face. You need to have that living hope so that they can see God and they can see resurrection in the life you live. That's what you are offering to people when you love them without judgment. I am not suggesting that we abandon the truth of the gospel. Do not mistake me here. It is a serious mistake to uh, reorder the intent and design of creation. It is especially true when we consider the message of the culture to our children. When I was in high school, I don't know about y'all, but when I was in high school, we dared one another to drink cheap wine at the rodeo or whatever and to, or to, to smoke a joint before we went home. Today, young children are being asked to decide their gender. Children are being encouraged to choose if they want to be a boy or a girl and begin hormone therapy. Now that if smoking pot it was a teenager's rebellious fad 40-some-odd years ago, it's not even close to the dangers involved and the fads and trends of transgender sex changes today. And that's what is being put before our children and encouraged as, you know, this is self-expression. I thought smoking a joint was really getting away with something, but hey, no, this is nothing by comparison to let's just change your gender as if that were possible. The church needs a solid, reasoned, compassionate re approach to the issues of sexuality and gender. I'm not even pretending we don't. But it needs to start when our children are, with our children as soon as they learn to walk and talk. God made you. You are precious in his sight. Beyond that, they need to hear the adults speak with one voice. God knows who you are. He will show you when you seek him. You belong to him. He has plans for you. Those are things that children can learn very early on, and they need to know that they do not belong to themselves. They belong to God. They did not create themselves. God created them. Right? That's an enormously different view than what is offered to them in the society around us. There are many, many complex issues involved in this discussion because human beings are, are very complex. But what is not complex is the obvious need we have to be saved, primarily from ourselves. We need to be saved from ourselves. And I totally understand that there is this whole hate God, you know, cult out there, you know, the religion of atheism, the religion of the humanistic self. But one thing to remember is that human beings disappoint. You know, we're never going to live up to all that we need. We're not, we can't ever supply all of our wants and needs. I mean, look where human beings have gotten to us now. We don't even know what gender is, and we're proud of that. I mean, how smart, how, how smart can human beings be? How, how, how original and how creative can we be that we are just, you know, all about sex? I don't know. If we're going to be the church in this generation then every Christian needs to reclaim this reality. First and foremost, we need to be saved. Our God has made all the necessary arrangements 
and we do not need to be afraid. That's it. We need to recover that. And when we are humble enough to allow ourselves to be saved, then we can begin on a pathway to humility that enables us to love like Christ loves. The only hope for our world, it really is Jesus Christ. There is no amount of science. There's no amount of medicine. There's no amount of philosophy or technology. There's no amount of military or weaponry or whatever that's going to save this generation. It's not even going to save us. That's not possible. If you want to make a difference in this world, then you need to be more like Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. We have the same human problems. We have the same need for salvation. We have the same saving God. All I can say is thanks be to God for that, that he is still with us, that he has not given up on us. The only hope for our world is Jesus Christ. Make sure you're prepared to offer him to the whole wide world, everybody you meet. On that note, let's close with prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your Spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you guys, y'all pray on these things. Y'all be blessed now. You hear? You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.